So welcome back once again to the Coffee and Heroes podcast. Thank you for joining us once again as we go through the 20th of October review releases. So we've obviously been banging out the reviews tonight. We had the 13th of October previously on the network. You can also find our 6th of October one. But again, we're going to be focusing on the 20th of October releases again. So once again, in case you're just new to us, we will be discussing some spoilers along the way. Mostly light spoilers, but they will be there. And again, these are the titles that were released on our side of the world on the 20th of October. So your host is always Alan from the Coffee and Heroes in Smithfield Market, Belfast. And I'm joined once again by Mr. Keith Miller. Good evening. Good evening to you, sir. And we are going to be uh, breaking down our titles first of all. So for me, geez, I had quite the big week this week. Normally there's not such a big discrepancy between our numbers. They're usually close. So I wonder what happened this week. But... What I've got is 25 titles in total. There's a beautiful bit of symmetry here in that I have 11 DC and 11 Indie with just the three Marvel in the middle making up. But my Marvel numbers are not too much lower than yours this week. Yeah, I don't I don't know what happened because I'm 10 issues lower than you uh, at 15 titles. Um, 7 DC, 4 Marvel and 4 Indie. I think the big discrepancy there is Indie. Uh, for some reason, I have like 7 less than you. Yeah, you were just putting all of your attention this week into that original graphic novel that got released, and uh, why wouldn't you? But we'll certainly get to that. So, yeah, as always, we'll we'll follow the format of some honourable mentions, quick picks, that kind of thing, and then go into what our pick of the week was from this week. So why don't you kick things off for us with our now uh, customary mention of a certain uh, DC second-best Batman? Uh, but best character, nonetheless. Um <laughs> So we've got uh, Nightwing 85, and the, what, what distinguishes this is, of course, that Bruno Redondo is not on art. Uh, it's uh, Robbie Rodriguez for the Fear State crossovers. And you mentioned something interesting about the covers of these last couple of issues, Alan. Yeah, all of the Fear State uh, issues. So 84, 85, 86 is your Fear State tie-ins. And uh, we obviously reviewed 84 on a previous pod as well. But, yeah, the covers are... Uh, the interior art may be Robbie Rodriguez, but the covers are by Bruno Redondo, the series' regular artist. And they are connecting covers, rather beautiful connecting covers as well. And uh, central both to the cover of this issue and the story itself is Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, who's fast becoming one of my favourite DC characters next to Nightwing, not least because... Uh, Tom Taylor has them side by side, um, along with Tim Drake, um, the best Robin, uh, to track down who is responsible for... <laughs> Sorry, just... What? The worst Robin is the... Uh, we're not going to get into that. We're not going to get into it. To track down who is responsible for taking down Bab's uh, Oracle network. And the anti-Oracle character is, is kind of interested in what's going on here as part of Fear State. So while I'm sort of enjoying Fear State, the, the Nightwing, uh, I guess, crossover into Fear State is definitely what I'm really enjoying it. I'm enjoying it more than I'm enjoying any other part of Fear State, I have to say. You know, and Tom Taylor's doing an outstanding job of making it the most the most fascinating part of it. Um, Nightwing and Batgirl together, just just brilliant. I mean one of the best relationships in the DC universe next to next to Bruce Wayne's relationship to, to Dick Grayson. And you get a wee bit of character development and advancement for them both. I mean, Batgirl's been a part of Tom Taylor's story, Nightwing story since the start. And uh, I just think they do a good job of, of, of developing the characters and, and, and doing what he's been doing best and, and better than anybody else. I think on, on Nightwing while also advancing the, the fear state plotline and, 
I don't know, man. I have a I have a wee inkling. Do you remember there was a there was a a Barbara Gordon Oracle uh, story in one of the uh, was it Urban Legends? Yeah, yeah. One of the early. I have a feeling that the anti Oracle that we're seeing now is that same character that she was combating in that issue. Mark it now because I think that's what it is. I think that's who this is. You're going to have that wonderful aha moment that you enjoyed so much in Nice House in the Lake 5 again, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, and I mean, Nightwing continues to be the best of DC. I yeah, mean, I can't argue with that. Uh, emotionally charged, narrative, action, character development. It's got it all. It's got it all. And, uh, and a light yeah. touch and humor. Yeah, 100%. Light enough that you can just you can breathe all the way through it. Uh, every issue is just, it just knocks it out of the park. Yeah, very much so. And and again, if you're you're late to Nightwing, the the first collection is due out end of December, early January, I believe. So the first graphic novel collection. So get on that. But next up, it's interesting. There's a nice little link here. You were talking about how Nightwing is probably your most enjoyable part of Fear State so far. But oh. definitely one of the the big surprises for me in Fear State is these Batman secret files. You know, we've we talked about yeah. Miracle Molly before. Uh, and this week, I really, really enjoyed the the Secret Files Peacekeeper one, number one, and they've been consistently excellent. These Secret Files issues, you know, primarily due to the fact Tinian is involved with all of them. You know, sometimes you get these offshoots of events or these one shots or whatever, and that they're they're given out to different writers or whatever. But Tinian has uh, kept his involvement, although in this one he actually co-writes with Ed Brisson, which again is no slouch as well. But, uh, yeah, with Tinian's involvement, you know, he obviously introduced these characters that he created. Uh, but also, they're just damn good one-shots. I mean, Peacekeeper 1, of course, we know is Sean Mahoney, who was uh, the hero of A-Day. You know, he helped save a lot of people. Uh, but what was his journey to becoming Peacekeeper 1? Why was his family name spoken in the same revered circles as the Waynes and the Cobblepots, only to fall from grace? And also, how did his relationship with his father help shape him into the man he became? I mean... All these questions are answered throughout half of the issue, but the other half focuses on the present where Peacekeeper 1 has gone AWOL after having consumed a near-lethal dose of fear toxin at the hands of the Scarecrow. Yeah, Tinian and co-plotter at Brisson, they, they weave a wonderful tale here, full of character, but also cool action as well. The art by Joshua Hickson, Hickson actually is, you know, definitely deserves a mention, perfectly suits the nature of the story, and he's actually made it onto my lists to keep an eye on what they do next, so... I thought this was a brilliant accompanying issue to what is now Tinian Swan Song event on Batman. Uh, was this a secret files that you picked up? I did pick this up. It was a whole different uh, different speed from the Murica Molly issue. Um, and I, I mean, it is interesting to. I, I mean, it's about abuse, isn't it? It's about you know the past abuse between you know his the grandfather and the. The father and and the son and the expectations, legacy the, and the legacy and and but but it's it's the toxicity of that legacy. Yeah, I think you know it's it's about legacy for legacy's sake rather than for what it is. Um, yeah, very enjoyable and it just shows you why why Sean Mahoney is such a screw up. Like, yeah, well that's it. You feel empathy for the character and that's mm -hmm. something that we certainly didn't feel to this point. He just came across as maybe a grunt who wanted to prove himself and was happy to, you know, take the mantle of Peacekeeper 1 and hand out beatings and this and that and, you know, be a part of this police state, essentially. Uh -huh. uh, um, but there's empathy. Yeah, there. There, I think there is, and, and it's about how the media uses these people with that, you know, Simon Saint and, 
you know, has has organized. I mean, it's more than just the media. How how they're used by the the prevailing establishment and and all of that. Yeah, so it's it's a real interesting issue. I really enjoyed it. Again, you know, he's Tynan's using these 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 one shots that are in a really interesting way. In the same way as Kieran Gillen is using the the one shots and Eternals in a really interesting way to to round things out and focus in areas that he doesn't get a chance to focus on in the main series. Yeah. No, definitely. But yeah, I'm loving these these one shot secret files. There's definitely at least one more to come with the gardener, which I believe is out this week as well. So uh mm-hmm. hopefully the quality continues with those. So so from DC to a little bit of Marvel. Obviously you didn't have an awful lot of Marvel this week, but uh clearly some stuff stood out. Yeah, absolutely. Um Shang Chi number five um by Jean Lung Yang and uh Dyke Rowan uh on art. And I mean these these guys, these these folks have been together as a creative team for ten issues now in Shang Chi. Although this is issue five, there was another five issue series before that, uh back last year. And uh I mean they they through those ten issues they've they built a really uh, interesting and exciting world around Shang Chi, and and I think this is a book that not not enough people are picking up, despite the movie. You know, you would think that, but it's I mean, Shang Chi is very much Shang Chi in the comics is very much a, like an, an uh, spy and espionage sort of a character, and in this run, Shang Chi is trying to take a negative, which is his father's organization. Uh, and turn it into a positive, but the heroes of the Marvel Universe aren't seeing it that way. They're still seeing they're seeing Shang Chi becoming the leader of of the the Five Weapons uh, organization, whatever you call it, Ten Rings, Five Weapons, whatever you want to call it. They're seeing Shang. They're still they're seeing him taking up leadership of this, and they're challenging him and and so forth and so on. And it's it's just it's it's great, you know, it's great energetic fun action, and the art really shows that, and the fights. As they should be in a Shang Chi book, are really thrilling and action-packed and visually stunning through uh, Dick Rian, Rian's art. So I think I think this writer really understands this character. And this, we have a weapons dealer up, up, offering up a, a stolen Iron Man suit to Shang Chi's organization, and you know what Tony Stark has to say about that and his understanding or misunderstanding of what Shang Chi's doing. So it's it's really great stuff. It's really great stuff. It's very disconnected from the movie. Um, which I also appreciate, but you know whether whether or not that's why it's maybe flying under the radar a wee bit. Yeah, I think there's definitely a certain truth to that. There are times that you feel sometimes with Marvel comics, certainly more so than DC, just because the Marvel comics or the Marvel movies have been so consistent. You know, with its long narrative and all the rest, and more successful than the DC movies. You do wonder sometimes if they do not necessarily pander to new, to movie audiences and trying to align them, whether it's through looks or, you know, how they talk or that kind of thing. But I think Marvel do shape their characters a little bit more to try and pull in that movie crowd. Mm. Um, and then maybe, as you say, with something like this being so different from the movie, uh, maybe that is putting people off. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, uh, I mean, Shang-Chi hasn't been... You know, up until now, Shang-Chi has not... Between now and the 70s, Shang-Chi hasn't been a well-known character. Yeah. No, that's you fair. Know, so. no, it's, a, it's a series. Uh, I'm not picking it up myself, but it's a series. Maybe I'll, I'll just check out and trade. Yeah. Uh, give, yeah. It, give it a wee go, because you do speak very highly of it. So, on to another honourable mention from myself. And next up, I have Refrigerator Full of Heads, number one. So, this for me, it's, it's a welcome return to the world of the Hill House 
comics horror line at DC, which of course was curated by Joe Hill, creator of Lock and Key, Nosferatu, amazing writer in his own right. But they launched this horror line, uh, probably about. Sorry, just to be just to be clear, amazing writer in his own right because his father is Stephen King. But I yes, was indeed. But what I wanted to do was try and mention Joe Hill and mention <laughs> Stephen King, which just seems to be impossible. Uh, but yeah, he's he's someone who stands very much on his own these days. But uh, yeah, it, it originally launched with five titles about two years ago. So you had five titles: you had Daphne Byrne, Lola Woods, Plunge, Dollhouse Family, and Basketful of Heads. And each one of them was kind of a different exploration of different types of horror. So Daphne Byrne was your, you know, Monster of the Week type horror. Lolo Woods was sci-fi horror. Plunge was seafaring horror. Dollhouse Family was like old Victorian ghost story horror. And then Basketful of Heads to me came across a sort of Evil Dead comedic horror. And with Refrigerator Full of Heads, it's returning as a sequel to Basketful of Heads. It seems to be the only one returning at the moment, which is a bit of a shame, but, you know, hopefully more on the way, we will see. But with this one, you pick up events a year after Basketful of Heads, which ended with the the mysterious axe, which was at the heart of the story, at the bottom of the ocean. But as we all know from our horror tropes, nothing evil stays buried forever. It's a brand new creative team on this follow-up. You know, writing duties have been taken over by Rio Years and artists by Tom Fowler. And the guys take up the baton with ease and confidence. You know, they don't skip a beat from from Basketful of Heads. With this one, a new couple are introduced as vacationing in Brody Island. Always love that Jaws reference. Uh, And by the end of issue one, it's clear their dream vacation has taken a turn for the worse. So really enjoyed this first issue. Issue two came out this week. I'm really looking forward to that as well. So here's hoping there'll be more Hill House Horror titles on the way. I mean, did you you ever um, indulge in any of them the first time around? I did not. Um, I didn't, and I didn't indulge in this. Um, I mean, I, I'm i not against horror comics by any stretch of the imagination, um, but I, it's just not my kind of... I mean, I'm loving Nice House on the Lake. I'm, I'm, I'm loving uh, Me You Love in the Dark. It's just I, it's just not, not quite my kind of horror, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. A little bit of horror goes a long way. Yeah, 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 yeah if you will so uh but yeah if you fancy with with this one it's it's very much horror but it's also a little bit of comedy to it as well so just really really enjoyed it but uh we'll jump from that to an idw series i believe this was uh at the end of a series which was real shame because give me more of this yeah you've been on it yeah no yeah this is uh, is bermuda bermuda number four by john layman and nick bradshaw john layman of uh, Chew fame, who we were very lucky to interview. Um, I think it was early this year, late last year. Time has no meaning. Um, but this is the the epic conclusion of the four-issue series, uh, which introduced an entirely new world called The World, um, you know, and, and the, the tri- triangle was the island. Um, and it's 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 just, it's, it's been kind of mental. It's action-adventure, it's... A bit Indiana Jones. It's a bit Romancing the Stone. It's a bit Jurassic Park. Um, our hero is a uh, a teenage girl called Bermuda, um, who uh, you know was raised in the island by uh, by a uh, I guess she was raised by a, 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 an escapee from a Japanese World War Two sub, <laughs> you know, and all the various cultures that have formed in the island. It's a it's kind of a Bermuda Triangle sort of a thing, and uh, it's just, it's kind of, I don't know. There's a lot, there's a lot going on in it, wouldn't you say? 
Yeah, very much so. That's sort of why I was hoping it would be slightly longer than four. I mean, mm. there's there's tons of good characters being introduced. Obviously, the myth of the Bermuda Triangle. You've got different cultures of war here. You've got people who are obviously staying on the island and have established a new order of how things work there. You've got these two kids missing from this rich guy from the you know the quote real world. But mm. but the thing that stands out for me more than anything in this, oh my god, the art is incredible. Yeah, Nick Bradshaw is fantastic. The level of detail, the creature design, the character design. There's double page spreads, and and another thing that we we love, we love a good map. And there's a map on the back mm. cover as well, on the back of every issue. <laughs> and Bermuda herself is, I mean, she's she's totally you can't pin her down at all. She's very you know she, it's very bombastic characters very entertaining and much bigger than all the other characters and uh you have is it andy who is the kid from our world who has come across and his father is now on the other side trying to create a quantum portal to bring him back which is interfacing with the magic of the mirrors who are the fish men on the island who can't access their magic and it's all going to go all pear-shaped very very shortly and create a storm that's going to destroy both worlds and you know so it's very local but it's very colloquial but it's also very global as well um i just i really i really enjoyed this series it's all it's all seemed it's done in four and it's it's something a wee bit different and there's riding in the backs of dinosaurs and there's fishmen and there's uh pirates there's a wee bit of peter pan about it mm-hmm. um you know and, and all of that sort of stuff it's uh do you think Lehman will maybe do a wee bit more of this? Possibly. I mean, John Lehman, he's a, he's a brilliant writer. He's a really interesting guy as well. But he's, I certainly got the impression from chatting to him and so forth, he doesn't he doesn't think the days of long-running independent comics are that alive and well. You know, he had mm-hmm. some bad experiences with some stuff that got cancelled when he had more ideas. I think it was a series called Outer Darkness that he had loads more ideas mm-hmm. for. Um, so I almost think he doesn't want to write too far ahead. I mean, I know with Chu, C-H-U, uh, he writes it an arc at a time, and each arc is self-contained, so that if it got cancelled, it still has a, you know, it, it's still wrapped up in a, in a definitive way, but I'd love to see more of this. I mean, I, I really hope that the, the the trade paperback, or if it gets a hardcover, that it's expanded in size, because again, I can't emphasize enough, Nick Bradshaw's art in this is so incredibly detailed. There's double-page spreads you could spend 10 minutes on. Background and there, there's there's something to be there, and there's a, there's a bit of a where's Wally element about it as well, yeah. isn't there? Um, but there, I mean, the fact that it's only four issues, you know, and most most miniseries are five or six issues, you know, this is four issues, and that, you know, there's this there's this frantic pace about all the action. Uh, I mean, I would say it's an all ages book as well. Yeah, very much. So. Um, Definitely. You know, so there's this frantic pace about it. It's just go, go, go. It's it's kind of maybe what nonstop Spider Man wanted to be. Um, you know, it's just one thing after another. This would, this this would make a great uh, ride in the Disney park. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> that's one of these these comics that can convert into a ride very very quickly. <laughs> it's just you'd be going through all the different villages and the pirates and the, you know, but it's that's sort of what it felt like. It felt like yeah. a roller coaster. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. And if we see a Bermuda ride turn up sometime soon, then we know that there are Disney executives who listen to our uh, our humble podcast. Mm-hmm. If you will, but yeah, I mean, if 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 you were a fan of Raiders of the Lost Ark or Peter Pan or Hook or Clash of the Titans or the Goonies or any of that sort of slightly out there good stuff, then this is probably one one for you. 
I would wholeheartedly agree. Definitely keep an eye out for it when it's collected into graphic novel formats. So next up, we are, of course, going to be talking about an actual graphic novel. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a reason this is not pick of the week, but I'll get to that in a minute. But uh, what I'm talking about is Reckless Destroy All Monsters hardcover. So, you know, I got to ask the question, are Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips the premier creative team in comics right now? I mean, Pulp and Reckless alone. I'm going to say Reckless. I don't mean in the, the singular. I mean the the three books that have been released so far would suggest yes. Yeah. Uh, but but what they've done before that would further, you know, support that that statement. I mean, it's my God. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think they may just be as well. I mean, I. Again, going back to you know my trip over to Thought Bubble, I, I met Sean Phillips there. I, I picked up the only hardcover of him that I didn't own so far, which is one called Bad Weekend, which is right. all to do with a, a beleaguered, aging comic artist who never got the financial recompense that he thought he should. And uh, he's he's quite bitter about it. He doesn't have his original pages. He gets an old intern to help him. He's going to try and steal some of those pages back, all this kind of stuff. Really great standalone uh, hardcover book. It's linked to the criminal universe as well, which, of course, these guys did. And, I mean, these guys have been working together decades at this point, and their work is only getting better. You know, I, I'm not sure anybody else in the industry would have the clout or bravado or, indeed, the confidence in their storytelling to decide to leave single issues behind in favor of a new hardcover original graphic maybe every five, six months with a very simple sort of idea of a man who will do anything for you for a price, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yet, every time a new Reckless Books hits the shelves, it is immediately the title I look forward to most that week. It feels like an event every time it comes out. And again, the only reason I haven't chosen this as my pick of the week is because I think it is that good that we need to do a, a, a book club on this at some point, if it's not Absolutely. just a and, book one on all of yeah. them. And, and I, I think we need to get Roddy on for those as well. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a need to happen, but I mean, this is, we have Reckless, we have Friend of the Devil, we have Destroy All Monsters, and throughout of throughout those three trades, we've been introduced to Anna, who is effectively uh, Ethan's, I'm not going to call her a sidekick, because she's not that. Uh, she's she his, fills she's that his role. gatherer of information. She's his confidant. She's his partner. She's uh, he, she's his portal to the modern world that is evolving. Yeah, yeah, around yeah, him. exactly. And this this sort of brings her to the forefront through her continued character development through these. And that's the thing. That is the thing about this. She continues her continued character development through these three graphic novels. But the nature of Ethan is that he doesn't develop. Yeah, he can't develop his his. The, the injury that he has means that he can't uh, process or feel emotion the way that and pain the way that other people do. And uh, while he's not a psychopath, I don't think um, he's stuck. He's stuck in in a way that uh, in a way that Johnny Lawrence and Cobra Kai makes comedic. Ethan makes sort of real and almost tragic. Um, you know, and and we see people developing around him most most prominently Anna and this, and that's where this is brought to the forefront. So, my God, I'm getting into character analysis. <laughs> and and, and we're, we're just, we're just in a, no, it's, these are so good. These are so good. Yeah, they deserve that long form conversation. And, 
you know, character is the main thing of Phillips and Brubaker's works. The characters are just, they feel real. They feel lived in. They feel like they've had life experience. You, you believe they every feel decision. Like, uh, they feel like Joe Bob. Yep. Well, it's nice to know it runs in the family. Very much so. <laughs> I'm still waiting on that criminal, that Texas Blood crossover. I'm convinced I put the seed of that idea in Jacob Phillips' head. <laughs> but yeah, these books have been so ridiculously consistent. But I think three might be the best yet. And I think part of that yeah. is the exploration of what Ethan can do without Annabaz's side. You know, can he function in this world? I just love that he's a character. He's a little bit... There's a little bit of Jack Reacher in him in that he sort of takes cases that interest him. And he needs to see them through, not because he needs to see them through, but because he's a curious person. He needs to know, you know, what it's like behind that white picket fence for someone. Uh, I just love these books. You know, if you're not on them, do yourself a favor. Jump into this series. It's a perfect example of just how amazing comic storytelling can be without having to rely on superheroes. Like, this is noir storytelling, adult storytelling at its absolute best. So... Um, yeah, Reckless Destroy All Monsters was out this week and it was something very special, I thought. Mm-hmm. Every one of these. And I don't think I'd need it to be a Reckless book, you know, for an orig- Reckless original graphic novel mm-hmm. for me to just go, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm buying it. You know, I'd, I'd like to see what else it can do as well. I mean, I, I will buy Reckless at this quality, at this frequency, until the cows come home because it's just great stuff and i'm looking forward to presenting my brother who you know loved pulp with the the last three reckless graphic novels uh (laughs) christmas is coming so they tell me Uh, (laughs) (laughs) so hawkeye will be telling you (laughs) so uh yeah because i think he just loved this stuff um yeah very very good but i I, i'm really interested if they keep doing this and they decided to take a segue from reckless and do something else I'm I'm all in. I am all in. It's uh, this is this is the epitome of the coffee and heroes follow creators. Yeah, ethos, and it's following the team as well because they yeah, just yeah. work so well together. So, yeah, just get on it if you're not on it because it is just phenomenal stuff. So, uh, but we've got one more honorable mention to finish with. Well, we started the honorable mentions with Tom Taylor. We may as well finish with him. Yeah, absolutely. Tom Taylor's doing uh, fantastic work on uh, Superman, Son of Kal-El, and I'm highlighting number four today. And uh, it's just another another fantastic issue of Tom Taylor's fantastic series. He's just, as with Nightwing, he's just got an understanding of the character. He's got under the skin of the character, and he's he's, he's writing the character in a really genuine way. And... Uh, I mean, Superman is arguably the most important superhero in the world, our world. You know, probably marginally more identifiable than than Batman or Spider Man. You know, he's 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 the big blue Boy Scout. And so, I mean, what what Tom Taylor has done is getting, you know, is getting. DC fans and, and, and superhero fans to accept a new Superman because he's 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 supplanting his father mm-hmm. um, but he's just in great hands to do it uh, you know and I, and I have absolute trust in him you know so so yeah this is great I love John I, I think John John has been a, a fantastic character not a character that that Tom Taylor developed that, that he started you know that was Bendis and um uh 
Philip Kennedy Johnson and you know those, but he's just picked it up and I mean John John has been a favorite character of mine since then you know the idea that Superman has a son who has superpowers who will grow and then the the time jump that that made John into you know from a superboy to a superman and uh, and now this absolutely stressfully compelling story of of John trying to fill the shoes of his father who is now gone or is going you know that's that's the trick here that's it's 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 uh, the ultimate father son story uh, and and what do you do when your father's father's gone which is which is something that resonates with us all you know um and he's he's making john a character who while superman is empathic to everybody we're seeing we're seeing behind the eyes here you know and you know, while Superman cares, John, John is, is is an activist and is dealing with things that are important to us. You know, so this is just, yeah, he, and becoming his father's gone and he's he's now becoming a man in his own right. Uh, so it's a story. Maybe it resonates more with with guys than it does with, with girls. I don't know, but but uh, it's a really poignant story. Yeah, I mean, it's been a. a great introduction for for superman in this sense you know being jonathan kent and as you say tom taylor's that guy he he can make any character accessible even without that prior knowledge and make it identifiable with you straight away i mean the one thing i will say which was i i can't take credit for this it was actually Kalen pointed this out to me but you gotta love that the first couple of issues of superman son of kal-el were all about clark saying i trust you son I can leave the world in your hands. I got to go off world and do this stuff. Earth is safe. I believe in you. And by You've issue, <laughs> and by issue four, the Ken farm is destroyed. <laughs> Superman's <laughs> off world maybe a day. The Ken farm's destroyed. <laughs> yeah, but John's dealing with some stuff that you know was unexpected, and and I think that's what you know. That's what he means. He trusts him. He's and he has, you know, he has left him in in dick grayson's hands so he'd be all right mm-hmm. you know but uh you know it's it's yeah these things happen it'd be <laughs> it'd be good it'd be good and, and there's good fun as well you know it's we're talking about it like it's like it's a super heavy comic and it's not it's light you can breathe through it it's uh it looks gorgeous um yeah, john tim's great art yeah absolutely so so yeah beautiful beautiful great book great book so Superman, Son of Kal-El number four, finishes off the honourable mentions then for this week. So it's on to the picks of the week. And lo and behold, it's a DC book for me again. But it's not a Batman book, though it is a Gotham book. Uh, so for me, pick of the week this week is Catwoman, Lonely City number one. So written and drawn by Je- Cliff Chiang. I am in. Cliff Chiang was the artist on my favourite Wonder Woman run which was released during the New 52 era. Uh, it was written by Bran Azzarello. But he's also the co-creator and artist on the brilliant Paper Girls with Brian K. Vaughan at Image Comics. So first things first, this is a, a silly-sized book, copyright pending, Keith Miller, 2021. But it's, <laughs> but it is a title that justifies the larger format as well because this is cinematic as hell. This deserves that bigger format. You know, Catwoman Lonely City, it presents a really interesting version of Gotham City. It falls under the purview of older superheroes, this book, but for once this isn't focusing on an older Batman or an older Joker. They aren't even alive in this Gotham of tomorrow. Basically 10 years ago, the massacre known as Fool's Night claimed the lives of Batman, the Joker, sorry Keith, Nightwing, and Commissioner Gordon, and it sent Selina Kyle to prison. 
But now she's out and all the usual Gotham staples aren't there for her to play with. I mean, in this version, Harvey Dent is still two-faced, but he's reformed, gained the public's trust, and he's now mayor of Gotham. There's actually echoes in this book of the magistrate, uh, the the whole fear state idea, because mm-hmm. uh, Gotham is safer than ever, but it's under constant surveillance from the mayor's office. And Two Faces even in you know made this force of police officers called Bat Cops, where they essentially are almost like clones of Batman, but all under his control. And uh, but this is no way linked to Tinian's work. I think it's just a you know happenstance, you know, just bit of timing, but. But what's interesting is, you know, clearly 10 years is a long time in Gotham. You know, Selina doesn't recognize this better world she returns to. You know, is it all just better on the surface? Were these characters happier in the mar instead of the brighter tomorrow? You know, Selina feels out of touch and there's there's more than a hint of melancholy the whole way through this book as, as she tries to find her place in the new world. But the, the sort of driving force behind the story is she remembers Bruce's last words to her when he was dying which may lead to one big last score amid secrets that are hidden away in the Batcave. You know, in a way, her connection to Bruce has never dimmed, and his last words to her what drives her to have purpose moving forward. I mean, there's something brilliant in that, you know, cementing their eternal relationship to each other, even in death. You know, it really was a standout book this week, you know, and that's, again, without mentioning the art, you know, this is one gorgeous, gorgeous book. I mean... This may be a silly size book, Keith, but these lines are so clean you could eat off them. Mm, oof, oof, oh, you tease me, boy. They are clean, clean lines. You know, the, but <laughs> the Gotham designed here—it has more than a hint of the stylized animated series, but it also feels fresh as well. You know, visually, Chang he knows his he knows his bat history. You know, there's visual nods to Year One, visual nods to Hush, to Dark Knight Returns. So it's it's a real sort of treat for a Batman fan as well. But yeah, the book ends on a really intriguing hook. You know, it leaves you wanting more. I've spoken plenty of times about my love for Harleen, and you know that still stands out as my favorite oversized black label title so far. But you know what? If Catwoman Lonely City maintains this quality, this this cat may just come out on top. I think this is one brilliant book. Brilliant. Big book. words. Big words. Big words uh, for a big title for a big silly size book. <laughs> good enough. Good enough. So yeah, that's my pick of this week, which is Catwoman Lonely City number one. So do pray tell, finish us off. What have you got from this week? I am swinging from the distinguished competition back to the six one six universe uh, with Death of Doctor Strange number two. Um, it is the second issue of Jed McKay's miniseries, and it was every bit as good as issue number one, and. This is cementing McKay as me as one of one of Marvel's finest writers. I mean, if Black Cat and Taskmaster and Moon Knight weren't enough. The mystery of Doctor Strange's murder remains unsolved at this stage, but the plot still moves forward as the magical universe responds to the death of the Sorcerer Supreme and the ending as a result of his death of the many protective spells that surround the Earth and introduces a trio of threats in the Three Mothers um, Lee Garbutt is the artist in this and is a great match to the tone of the story and the contrast between the modern Marvel Universe characters and that of uh, Doctor Strange's classic look is pointed and is sort of subtly comedic and I mean just to be clear, the, I don't know if you're reading this Alan are you? Yeah, yeah I'm on this so to be clear the, the, the conceit of the story is that in the event of his death, Strange has stored away a week of his past 
to investigate his own murder, murder, which is a very, very clever central conceit. And, you know, the, the concept of the series, which is the death of Doctor Strange, would seem to be a fairly heavy one, but the handling of it makes it really fun. While it's also, I mean, we mentioned it earlier, it's also emotional and generally heartfelt and weighty uh, in the same way as uh, I think we talked about about something earlier. And I'm completely invested in it. I mean, it reads like a love letter to Doctor Strange, to his world and to the past and present of the Marvel Universe that I think even, you know, a historian, a Marvel historian like Mark Wade could be proud of. Yeah, I've, I've been digging this. I mean, again, this is a, a perfect example following the creators. You know, Jed McKay, of course, doing great stuff at Marvel. Lee Garbet was the artist on Shadecraft, which was a book I really enjoyed through Image Comics. Also Skyward as well. I mean, I I love little events like this where you can jump in and all you need is a basic knowledge of the character. You know, I, my, I don't have huge exposure to Doctor Strange in the comics, I have to say. A lot of my information does come from maybe the movie adaptation. But I was able to jump into this straight away and not feel lost. I was invested in the mystery. I... I love the arrogance of, you know, the only one who can investigate my own death is me, so I need to set aside <laughs> yeah, a week. That, that was brilliant, you know. <laughs> you know, to me, Doctor Strange, I, you know, as much as I give, you know, shit on Iron Man and all the rest, you know, they're two very arrogant, brilliant minds who love just, yeah. you know, going against which, each other all the time. Which they, they met fantastically in the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. uh, and, you know, in, uh, in Endgame, but, uh, or Infinity War, rather, and, uh, you know, that's just that that classic Doctor Strange, slightly loose around the edges. You know, the the way the way Marvel comics were at the time. You know, and by the the rings of Ragador, by the winds of Watum, <laughs> just the and his language and everything is just. Jen McKay has done his research and has gone back to those those early issues and and who Doctor Strange was and what a prick he was <laughs> and. and and, and and through that, you see the way the character has developed, you know, both through the way our society has developed and what's appropriate, you know, and and what people expect and, and characters. It's 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 a really fascinating character study. Yeah, it just seems like Jed McKay can do no wrong in the Marvel Universe, I think, at mm. the moment. And he's fast emerging as one of their most important talented. Kind of reminds me a little bit of sort of the ascent that Donny Cates had through Marvel. You know, started off mm-hmm. on a couple of quote smaller books, and then just suddenly became that name synonymous with with quality. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm fast becoming a big fan of Jim McKay. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's he's done the same thing with Moon Knight, just made him really accessible, but still throwing deep cuts uh, in there. You know, let's not uh, disregard the fact that Stephen was on Jed McKay before any of us were. You know, he saw the talent first. Yeah, he definitely did. He was. Uh, spewing his virtues all about his black cat run and so forth which uh, i know got you on the black cat as well so yeah he's uh definitely i see that name on a title i'm reading that title Mm -hmm. so yeah very much so so yeah so that was keith's pick of the week then for the 20th of october and that was the death of dr strange number two which is a five issue mini series so that is going to do it for this episode then of the Coffin Heroes Review Show. So we're catching up week by week as best we can. Well, I'm sure there will be more recordings coming in the next uh, week or two as we endeavour to get fully caught up uh, and, and plug all those gaps as we have been. But but again, if any series appeal to you, anything sounds good, get in touch. We'll always do our best to get you sorted. 
Uh, and uh, we'll be back very, very soon, I am sure, with more comics or reviews. So we will leave it there, and I will see you, good sir, in store tomorrow. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Excellent. Hope you guys enjoyed this as always. Cheers for listening, and uh, we'll see you soon. Good night. So I've been Alan Taylor, and this has been Keith Miller. You can find Alan in store at Coffee and Heroes and on Twitter where Alan is at Coffee and Heroes 1 and I'm Ascanison00. Coffee and Heroes is a local comic book shop, coffee shop and community hub in Northern Ireland based at Smithfield Market in the centre of Belfast. You can find Coffee and Heroes on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram or email us at coffeeandheroes at hotmail.com. Make sure to check out our YouTube channel as well. The Coffee and Heroes podcast is available on Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts and through all good podcast platforms. Please like and subscribe and leave a review so more people can find us. And until next time, happy reading and hope to see you in store.